0: Hello and welcome to My Life on the Line, a podcast by Revcoach. I'm Jack and once again I'm joined by Benji and Ale. Our guest today is Katie Nesbitt.
1: Katie is a FIFA-listed assistant referee and regularly officiates in the MLS, international matches and in the CONCACAF Champions League, where recently she was the AR on the final in Costa Rica. It's been an amazing couple of years for Katie. As well as a recent Champions League final appearance, she also attended the 2019 women's world cup where she
0: officiated two matches fantastic she's had such a great couple of years domestically she won the mls assistant referee of the year was on the mls's back tournament final as well as being on the 2020 mls cup we talked to katie about her incredible achievements so far in her career diving into the emotions and experiences of the concacaf final we also talked about her career outside of football as a chemist and how interestingly this has given her skills which has helped her as a referee. Katie, thanks so much for joining us. It's uh, an early Friday morning for us here in Australia, but it's a Thursday afternoon for you. Obviously, you are, haven't just been overseas, which we'll talk about a bit later. You're uh, enjoying the isolation life. First of all, thanks for joining us. Second of all, how, how are you finding that? Uh, th-
2: thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I'm getting to experience some more isolation now. Um, it's, been, <laughs> it's been good. I mean, obviously, we've been all doing this for a long time, uh, now almost a year, but uh Without a lot of soccer going on in North America right now, it is very boring.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, but despite no, no, no football in North Com- North America, you just came back from uh, from a big game, haven't you? That's why you're quarantining.
2: That's true. Yes, I did just come back from Costa Rica, so I had to travel internationally for the Concacaf League final. Yeah.
1: Awesome. How was that? How was uh? How that? Congratulations. The- Congratulations, first of all, yes. Thank you.
2: I appreciate it. Yeah. The game was, that was a lot of fun. Uh, it was the first time I've actually, I was looking back, been out of the country since the Women's World Cup. So not only was this like leaving during COVID times, it was also like, oh, yeah, you haven't actually been international in a while. So <laughs> it came with a lot of uh, interesting things to remember about traveling internationally. But um, yeah, the, the game was, the game was really a- Cool thing to be a part of i
0: have to say yeah you remembered you remembered your passport obviously you know all these different things you have to (laughs) say
2: i know i know like you're so nervous you check like 20 times before you actually get to the airport you're like no i know it's in the bag but just one more look
0: (laughs) (laughs) i remember when i went to um the ffa or football australia here having an exchange with the premier league um, so we went over to England and I like, you know, packed everything night like, before, checked everything and I knew I had everything. And then I got to the airport and I couldn't find my passport. And I was like, oh, my God, I was freaking out. I was <laughs> calling my girlfriend. I said, like, you got to go get home. you got to go get my passport for me. I, I just can't find it. And then, of course, 15 minutes later, it just slipped down in, further into the pocket in my bag. It was there. Of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really, really intrigued to, to learn about the game, first of all, because I don't know too much about CONCACAF. Um, but second of all, um, the, the team you were with weren't an All-American team, were you?
2: That's right. We had uh, the referee and AR1 were from El Salvador, and then uh, the fourth official and I were um, uh, American. Yeah.
0: Did that present some I guess, challenges to, to what you were used to?
2: Not necessarily. Um, I have a lot of opportunities to work with different people in CONCACAF. Um, for sure, when we go to like tournaments such as maybe the U-20 qualifiers or things like that, I'll end up working with um, referees from different countries in Hong Kong That can actually be very common for us. So this was the first time um, in a men's game that I had worked with a referee from a different country. Um, but working with Barton was very easy. Um, and I've been working on my Spanish, so that helps <laughs> a little bit too. Yeah. And so, I mean, we... It was actually kind of fun the first couple of days leading up to it when we had just gotten there we're having meals um, kind of getting to practice and get used to you know being bilingual with each other and things like that so yeah
1: that's awesome that mm-hmm. by that be, being able to speak a bit of spanish as well i imagine would also help a lot when you get to referee some of those Concacaf games obviously because of having all the south american games have you have you used before maybe some spanish word or you know with players has anyone said anything that you picked up on during a game
2: uh well that's that's kind of the thing and probably one of the reasons i decided i should learn spanish is you know i didn't know what players were always saying to me <laughs> Sometimes it's uh, true. yeah right right um and there you can even think about it in terms of like mls we have a very mixed Mm. Like a diverse league, right? So, I mean, it, it can be helpful for me when I work in Concacaf. It can be helpful for me on the
1: field in MLS. So, yeah. Yeah, of course, it worked really well for me in the past when I moved from Italy, speaking both Italian and English. Especially when uh, Italian players would uh, swear at me in Italian. <laughs> that that usually was the case. Whenever they had to insult me, they would go back to Italian, and I turn around and be like, uh, "Sorry, <laughs> I actually know exactly what you're saying, off you go."
0: Uh. so on, on the pitch um, what was the language used because obviously two Costa Rican teams uh, Spanish being the first language was the referee speaking Spanish generally to the players and then English uh, to you
2: yeah no he was speaking um, Spanish to the players and I, I think that makes sense both teams were Costa Rican and I tried to do the entire game in Spanish to him um, which I was mostly successful at you know I got most of the calls down I think like there was one quick decision that I just really needed him to not blow the whistle so it kind of (laughs) came out in English but um, yeah it it kind of worked okay I've been doing this enough that like most of the stuff on the field is very clear to me in, in Spanish so I understand enough of it that we could Get through like that, and if there was anything, there was one decision we had, um, one goal decision, um, where the guy chested the ball in, but his arms are are out to the side, and mm-hmm. he actually came through. And I think he wanted to double check with me, and so he said it in English: "Did it hit his chest? You know, not his arm, right?" Um, so that was the, that was the one time he wanted to definitely make sure we were communicating clearly and got the right answer. So, yeah,
0: I, I find that fascinating. Uh, the, the different language barriers with the trios there and and how different that is to, I guess, the majority of the rest of the world because usually, um, you know, uh, in UEFA, you have your, your trios or, or more with VARs and stuff who are all from England or France or Germany. Um, in Australia, we're part of AFC and it's the same thing, the trios, you know, three, four, however many Aussies will go over and refer AFC Champions League match. So I find it really interesting that they sort of, intertwine the countries and, and and the teams, it would give a really different dynamic.
2: It, it really does. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's kind of fun. It can also, it, it comes with its challenges for sure, but um, it really makes people stop and make sure you're communicating and getting the, the decision right too, at the end of the day, right? There's that extra barrier where you really want to make sure that, you know, <laughs> what you're saying is clear too. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And You know, I I feel it would be also really cool to meet people from different cultures, you know, before the game as well. I guess everyone has a pre-match routine and I know it, it can be very different from country to country, so it would be very interesting to see what, you know, South Americans do versus North Americans before the match, you know. It, I know he, in Italy, we used to do something completely different. We were a lot more in the zone, a lot more serious versus when I came here, everything was a bit more relaxed, but I also was a bit more mature as a person, I guess, if, if, I, if I ever was mature, let's be fair. <laughs> but, uh, so I think that would be really interesting. Did you notice anything that was particularly different or especially because at a very professional level, I guess um, there's a there's a series of steps you still have to go through every time, anyway.
2: mm mm-hmm. Actually, it's funny you brought up uh, being a little bit more serious before the game. That was definitely one thing I I noticed um, that there was just a lot, a lot more focus, and it was a little quieter and maybe calmer than some of the locker rooms I've been in before. You know, and mm-hmm. I, I think for me as an assistant referee, I am very much okay to be in tune with how the referee wants their locker room to be. Um, that's, that doesn't bother me. You know, if someone wants to play music, I don't care what kind of music it is. I'm happy to be on that wavelength. If someone's a big talker, that's fine. If they want a really quiet locker room, also okay with me really, like I have my special routines, everybody has their own thing. So, you know, as long as it kind of meshes somewhat for me, it, you know, it kind of works.
0: I think that's what, uh you know, it's I would find harder about being an assistant referee compared to a referee is that you do have to be so flexible and and change through huge different styles of referees, not just on the pitch. And I know we've talked about that before, but but off the pitch, you know, if I walked into the dressing room before as an assistant and I'm trying to get in the right state of mind and the referee's pumping some music that um, I just hated. <laughs> I would find that really, really difficult. I don't know how you do that. <laughs>
2: that's interesting i I definitely there is um there has been like a time or two with the quieter referees where i feel out maybe we've done a couple games together and i'm like hey could i play some music and like a lot of times you're like oh yeah yeah yeah." i just don't i don't have any good playlists i'm like great like (laughs) so sometimes you know we can kind of sneak in there and get our 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 playlist in or something like that but yeah most of the time i'm okay being flexible with it
0: plays just plays justin bieber or one direction yeah, what's either what's your
2: one, either one works.
0: <laughs> what's a much
1: tune? What's your pre-match favorite?
2: My pre-match favorite? I like um like any panic at the disco stuff. Oh yeah, nice. Oh, okay. very nice.
1: I remember I don't know if I was in the change room with you, Jack, back in the days. You remember Ollie? There was this other referee. And we used to, we all used to be really close when we used to referee youth league. And we had this thing, was almost done on purpose. We would play we would play weird tunes. And once I remember we put on salsa because both he and I used to dance salsa. So we would like dance salsa in the change room and everyone else was like, what is going on? And we would just do it to put people in an awkward space and be like, okay, open, like, you know, just have a bit of a laugh, have a bit of fun. You
2: Case, in point.
0: Case in point of me when I was an assistant referee would struggle to uh, depending on the referee. <laughs> um, I'd love to take you back to to before the game in Costa Rica, Katie, and you're standing in the tunnel. What was going through your head? What emotions? Obviously, um, like you said, you hadn't been overseas for so long, and not only that, this was a massive achievement in terms of receiving this appointment um, for you personally. Obviously, you had a stellar year on the on the MLS, um, but getting there, what was going through your head when you were standing in the tunnel, waiting to go out?
2: Um. I was surprisingly very comfortable, um, I, I, I'm i not sure how I quite got there, uh, I knew that this was a really big game, um, but I, I think that just everything was set up in a way that the protocols for COVID were set up in a way that kept me calm, the players were excited about the match and, and seemed kind of in a mood to play. Um, the referee crew we had been we kind of arrived a few days in advance so we had been together for a few days and gotten very comfortable with each other so to to be honest i actually was quite comfortable in that sense um there was also normally i i like to take a moment before the walk out and kind of especially for a big game like this you know take it all in um and I, I honestly had trouble doing that till we actually got out to the full lineup and everything like that because there was a few things that were just different and distracting to me and I think that that comes with doing games outside of the country so it was actually funny for me it took me I was like oh no I didn't actually have my moment so then we finally got out there and I'm like okay well here we go like they were playing I think the Cola anthem and I'm like alright I get to take this all in really think about what I'm going to do and then get focused for the game. So that's kind of how it felt. Yeah.
0: What were the differences? You know, you just mentioned that things were different to maybe normal games or MLS games. What, what was different when you were standing in there, what caused you to not have that moment till a lot later to normal?
2: It's a, one of the, one thing we weren't in a tunnel. We were kind of just like in an open space. We had been a little rushed to check the players that happens a lot though mm. normally it's just you know the way it is you really want to make sure everything looks okay but then you also have are on the tv schedule um there was a little bit of covid stuff that was just new for me to see like the people that had put the arch up were in full hazmat suits so it just it's things that just caught my eye and just drew my attention for a second you know and uh just it was a there's a couple of things that just were a little different to to start you know um but as soon as we were out on the pitch you know every you drop everything you remember where you are and what you're doing and it's just another game so
1: yeah this brings back memories from when we had um, isaac travis a new zealand fifa assistant and he was saying i remember he said during the podcast he was saying the same thing when you did uh, the under 17 world cup or wherever it went, you know, I said, yeah, there's big crowds. Obviously this was pre COVID and there's a lot of destructions, but at the end, when you're on the field, it's four white lines. Mm-hmm. And it's the same, whether you're around the corner from your, from, you know, in suburbia, or if you're in front of hundred thousand people watching the game, which no one really does nowadays, unfortunately anymore, <laughs> but that at the end of the day, it's those four white lines. And if there's something that you're familiar with, that's it the pitch so I, I found it really interesting how you had that moment of oh there's something new got a bit you know almost destructive by these things but then okay I'm on the pitch that time you know game on let's put a game face on and, and get it done
0: hey listeners we interrupt this podcast to tell you about something new and exciting coming to the ref coach podcast channel as you know our aim is to provide referees with world-class coaching no matter their level or location to help us do this we're launching a new podcast that provides short educational conversations on a wide range of refereeing topics. We'd love you to give it a listen, so keep an eye out for it in your podcast feed. Before the CONCACAF final, Katie, you had an incredible year in the MLS. You won uh, the Assistant Referee of the Year, which is fantastic achievement. And obviously, it was in a year that referees and players and everybody faced challenges probably bigger before. What did winning that award mean to you? It, it,
2: meant, a, it meant a lot to me, uh, especially after the year that we all had, um, especially because it was actually my goal uh, to be on that final at some point. 2020 seemed like a year I really wanted to go for it. So it, it meant a lot in terms of my personal goals, and it, it meant a lot in terms of the unique work that everybody had to put in to make that season happen, you know? So it, it was really special to me, and... It, it was obviously really special to me I, I, as the, the first woman to receive that award, but to also know that I was recognized as an assistant referee and not as a woman in that case. And that also, that comes with a huge honor for me too.
0: I, I thought that was fantastic when I saw, obviously this was before we'd we go to well meet you virtually um, and, and that you'd won that award, but what you were first was a referee. And then it was everything you'd achieved yeah. as a female, which was incredible. But the first thing you'd done as was a referee and you would just put on a completely same, treated exactly the same as your peers, which is absolutely how it should be. But I thought that was, was fantastic.
2: Yeah, I, re- I really felt that way. And, and that, that's honestly what probably meant the most to me is because that is really what, what my goal is. I really just want to be looked at as, as the same as everybody else. And um, so to, to earn that award, I knew that I had really done the best I could that year.
0: And I, I'm sure what came with it was a lot of respect from your peers as well, that, uh, which undoubtedly you already had. But I think when people, you know, when they get that recognition, it's almost like you are, your profile raises a little bit uh, with your colleagues and, and also in the, in the broader game.
2: You're right. Um, yeah. And I, I really, that was kind of a fun piece for me too. Um, you know, it's, it's been my sixth year in the league. And so you know, I've been slowly gaining that rapport and you know my colleagues know me really well and I've been working on it with the the coaches and the players right there's a lot of turnover there though so um I had this really cool moment in the playoffs after I'd earned the award um of a really really tight decision that led to a goal um I ran up the field and of course it was against the coach that was standing right there and <laughs> yeah. he went to go and yell at me and turned at me and he was like yeah all right it's <laughs> you know, like okay,
0: maybe maybe we're getting somewhere yeah I, when when those moments happen i uh, I remember touching on a very similar situation in an earlier podcast, and I think when those moments happen, that is when you know you have respect and and credibility like for me, that is you can't um put a price or anything on that sort of relationship when they look uh, I know the exact feeling, and then they just go, ah, uh, uh, you know yeah. okay, I'm doing well here."
2: Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a cool moment right after I got
0: the award. So. <laughs> Fantastic. Mm-hmm. And obviously the season started well. Um, the MLS had to adapt to COVID like anybody else. And you had the MLS's back tournament final uh, down in Orlando. How did you find that? We, we've heard a bit about that from uh, John Westbrooks. Um, we've heard about the, oh, uh, Sorry. I, I'm going to get these initials wrong. W, WNSL. Is it the woman's
2: uh, NWSL
0: NWNSL. I knew I was getting the wrong I <laughs> NWSL Jack. one less in <laughs> that and Niswa I get mixed up uh, so yeah we heard from Tori how the the female um, competition was uh, how did you find it obviously completely different to what most people had had done before you've been to tournaments so you had a bit of this uh, preparation but how was it yeah
2: uh, the, having tournament experience I think definitely helped um It made saying, oh, hey, I'm going to be gone in this bubble for a certain amount of time easier to do. It's something I was used to. I knew how to pack. I knew how to arrive. But um, Um, it definitely took a few days for everybody to settle in and get comfortable, you know, to get used to what was okay, what wasn't okay, how the protocols were going to go, how safe we could actually feel. Um, But once we realized, I mean, we were being tested every other day. Um, everybody had masks on, them. everything was small tables for eating, um, you know, everything was thought through to be as safe as possible. And so it became very easy to get comfortable in that group. Just kind of like you settle in in a tournament anywhere, just, you know, w- once those precautions were in place, we all kind of got comfortable. And to be honest with you, it ended up kind of feeling like a very family type of atmosphere like tournaments can sometimes. Um, this was a group of officials that you work with probably even more often than in tournaments. So, you know, after a while, it, it was a pretty positive atmosphere, to be honest with you.
0: I was going to ask that exact question that you just mentioned around, do you feel now closer to your colleagues having spent this, this time with them? Because you've, you've been on the road and stuff with them before, but never in this family-like environment, sharing meals, you know, sharing workouts constantly. It's not just for three days and then you fly out.
2: Yeah, I think that was great. You know, we got to know some of the referees maybe I haven't worked with a lot Um, for the assistant referees we're not full time. So we don't go to camps. Um, Maybe we have them twice a year or something like that. So this is probably the most time we've all got to spend together as a group and just be a hundred percent football focused. And, you know, I, I, I thought it was really interesting to actually watch some of the other assistant referees that maybe had never been to a tournament before and see how they were experiencing it. And you know, they, I, I remember them, some of them coming up to me and being like, this is really, really neat. Like, I love how <laughs> into it that I am and how much fun that I'm having doing this, um, even though it's something I've never experienced before. So, you know, I, I most people, I think, really enjoyed it at the end of the day. So.
1: Yeah, that would have been a great experience, but also on the human side of things, surely. You know, because you've not been full timers obviously you don't get to work work together so often. They would have been priceless. Um, you mentioned before that being uh, you know that final was one of your goals. So one question I had is how do you sort of approach your career? Because obviously you had you, you've achieved a lot. You you were on the league for six years, as you just said, and you got that final. Uh, when you got into the league, um, you know surely you would have had different goals from the sixth year in the league, you know, to get in that final. Um, Mm -hmm. how do you approach that? Do you, do you look at, do you have a particular thing you do? Do you, I don't know, I know lots of people, um, break it down in smallest, smallest steps, uh, and then go to more long-term goals. There's lots of people that journal, um, all this sort of stuff. So I'd be curious to see, um, how did you approach that?
2: Sure. Um, Probably how I approach my goals has actually changed in the last couple of years too. Um, it, you know, as I've changed or I figured out what I wanted or what I was capable of and things like that. Um, you know, before I got into MLS, my goal was—you know—I I wasn't a FIFA yet, and I was referring just in the NWSL at the mm-hmm. time. Um, so my my goal was eventually to go to a World Cup, and if I could get one MLS game, like I remember writing this down, I did log it in somewhere. And you know, this is what I wanted. So my first year in MLS, um, I re- my goal was just get your offside decisions right. Like <laughs> that was, there should be no other focus. You know, not um, small. <laughs> right, exactly, and and that that worked out really well for me. You know, so each year I probably added to my on field goals of kind of developing myself and becoming more than just an offside machine. Right. So that's, that's been part of it in terms of that. But uh, after, after achieving going to the Women's World Cup, I mean, that, that was, that was a huge goal for me. And, you know, I, when I came out of that, I really wanted to, do more. I wanted more still. And I didn't know what that was for me at the time. And it, it took me a while. So, you know, going into 2020, that was about six months later, you know, I, I sat down and I said, I I want to do more in the men's game. And, you know, I'm getting playoff games and I'm doing well in MLS, but I I I want the final now. And that was kind of that was kind of how that goal actually developed is um, you know, I had gotten to the point where I had made a lot of progress in my small goals in the field. I had achieved something huge, but I didn't want to be done with making big goals for myself. Um, so that's actually how that came about.
0: I love that. It sounds like you've got a real burning desire, uh, you know, to, to keep pushing on, you achieved amazing goals, but then you kept going and kept going and kept going, which leads me to wonder what's next.
2: But like I said, I'm mean, going to have big dreams on the men's side of things for sure. Um, I, I, I want more opportunities in in any men's soccer that I can get. Um, I would be happy to go to another World Cup. Um, You have one coming up in your country. That would be great. (laughs) We'd we'd
0: love you to come and visit. That would be fantastic. I I I would love to come. (laughs)
2: Yeah. that's a big one. And of course, um, if the Olympics do happen, and that is a you know possibility for me, um, of course that would be a
1: goal too. So, Did your goals change slightly when COVID happened? Because obviously there was a lot of different things, a lot of, you know, even just the fact of no crowds. I know we spoke to um, Stuart Carrington in, in the last podcast, you know, and he said, and he's done a lot of studies about how referees are affected by outside factors and you know he's done more research about how referees are reacting to covid and there's been a a big break between people that like it without crowds because they can focus more on what they're doing Mm -hmm. and people that don't so i guess the challenges have changed so much in the style of refereeing in general and also like all the mental preparation and performance on the field potentially without you know jack and i both said it we love the noise we love the the you know the big the big stage and uh, sort of oh, being yeah. under the spotlight. That's when we perform the best. Some people don't. So you know, how did that affect any in any way the way you you know your season your goals for the season?
2: It it did. I mean, getting when everything shut down and we had no soccer for a while, and the Olympics were definitely canceled, and that I totally changed what my goals were for for the year and. I think like everybody um, I took a step back and it was a hard step back and, and said, you know, well, what am I going to do now? You know? Um, so going into the Orlando tournament, so the MLS is back tournament um, I had worked really hard in the months leading up to it to um, get my fitness to the best standard it could be. Um, Orlando in July is a, uh, a sauna. And, you know, I wanted to be as prepared as possible for whatever the players were going to give us, you know? And um, so I felt really confident in terms of that. And I hadn't actually really made new goals yet. You know, I still had in the back of my head, I wanted to be on the MLS final, but I just went to that tournament and did that first game back to see like where even I was at and not to put the pressure on myself. And I think sometimes you kind of have to do that, you know, there was no fans gosh, I missed that, you know? There was, mm-hmm. everybody, well, players were playing different, we were all not used to being on the field, communicating, making quick decisions. Um, and so, you know, the the way things changed for me at first was just to kind of see, okay, where am I at before I put too much pressure on myself? And and once I knew where I was at and felt good enough with things, that's when I was like, okay, I'm gonna go for it.
1: Oh. Yeah, and that takes a lot of, you know, self-awareness and also being able to really distinguish the things you can control and the things you cannot control and stay in that mindset of, you know, first of all, accepting the situation, obviously, well, no one can control COVID. So it's it's happened. We got to deal with it. What can I do with my abilities, with the things I can actually stir in the right direction and just, you know, navigate through the things that I can't do anything about it? because I, I feel lots of people would have struggled the, in the last year, definitely, you know, especially with lots of mental health issues, we've not been able to accept that. And there's lots of people like we haven't been on a field, on a on, on pitch for a year, almost until last month here in Australia. So it's, it's been definitely one of those situations where that acceptance and that, well, I can control certain things, I can control how I perform fitness wise. And that's what or focus on i think that's really important it's a great message for you know referees out there that sometimes that's that's the most important thing the best thing you can do because then you know you sort of reviewed momentarily your goals and what you had to do in the very near future but you still ended up achieving your big goal that you set for yourself at the beginning of the season and imagine if you approach that with a different mentality sort of maybe panicking or stressing out about oh this is happening now what am i going to do and worrying about all the things you can't control, maybe that MLS final wouldn't have happened.
2: That's a good point. Don't get me wrong. There were still those days of worry and, you know, this is terrible. Of course. Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, But that's a a really, I like how you kind of summed that up. You know, it's when you you just take a step back and control what you can control, lots of things kind of can fall into place that are right for you. Um, So, yeah, that's a good point.
0: We're a big... Uh, fans of, of a guy, Australian guy called Ben Crow. He's an Australian mindset coach. So he works with uh, Ash Barty, the Australian cricket team, a lot of athletes over here and internationally. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, we had him on one of the early podcasts and he talks a lot about that, you know, control what you can and how that can lead to not just good performance, but allowing you to be happy as a person. So whenever, you know, we have people on who who... Talk about this, we love it. We're real, real fans of people who are able to to view the world through those eyes. I think it's really important. And uh, obviously for you, it's been a, a crucial building block for your success.
2: Yeah, very true.
0: So
1: talking about Crowey uh, makes me think about, you know, philosophy and we know outside football, Katie, you, you, you have achieved a fair bit, even uh, academically and in life, haven't you?
2: I uh, yes, I do have a doctorate uh,
1: in chemistry, so yeah, it's Dr. Katie from now on on
2: the podcast. Actually, okay, Dr. Katie Totally uh, <laughs> oh,
1: <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> we, <laughs> we apologize if we didn't pick that up before, Dr. Katie. So
0: <laughs> we'll make sure when when it gets uploaded to Spotify and Apple Podcasts, we had a uh, our guest today, Dr. Catherine Nesbitt
2: <laughs> Oh my goodness, that's hilarious! Nobody's called me that since I was teaching. So thank you,
0: though. <laughs> uh. So what
1: what you were doing, do you, do you still teach? Do you still do anything outside football with your, your doctorate, with your teaching job or what you were doing before football? Or football maybe took the priority on on everything else? Uh, did you manage maybe before being this full on with football to do two things at a time? Um, you know, it will be interesting to see how did you manage that? Um, how, you know, how you normal life, you know, how your classic Monday to Friday affected. Yeah, your, so yeah.
2: I got my PhD uh, the same year that I got into MLS. Actually, I defended two weeks before my first MLS game. That's like one of my favorite things to <laughs> talk about. because <laughs> Definitely two weeks of uh, lots of pressure, but also really exciting moments in my life. And then did a fellowship for two years and then um, got a faculty position um, at a university called Towson. And so I did that as well and I taught and had a research lab there for two years. And so I did that up until the Women's World Cup. And for sure, chemistry is another one of my passions. And as you can see, I like to take things to as high of a level as I can and everything like that. And so I was really happy with my job and everything. Um, But what I was finding is being able to do that job at my highest level and refereeing at the highest level it was just pulling me in directions where I wasn't able to also have other things in my life that I wanted. And so in, it was two weeks before the women's world cup, I um, quit my job. And since then I've been fully focused on soccer. And for me, that doesn't mean I'm not going to go back to that at some point. And I had hoped to pick up a class or two and teach um, in some of the easier, you know, Semesters where I don't have much going on with soccer, but COVID, so we'll we'll circle back to that idea afterwards. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my story in terms of that. So it, you know, it's another passion. I have done the managing both at the same time. I've also done the just soccer focus as well. Yeah.
0: How did you find? So now you're doing just football, um, soccer. Sorry, <laughs> talk American football works. I know what um, you mean. <laughs> um, how did you find being able to switch off? Um, because, you know, clearly um, refereeing and and your work as uh, a a chemist are very, very different. So I imagine when you went to one, you were one thing and you went to the other, you were the other thing. Mm
2: -hmm. Did did
0: anything change mentally for you? Uh, Because obviously we know the importance of being able to switch off and, and completely get away from football and everyone has a different way to do it. How did that work for you?
2: Great question. Um, I had to put in pretty like strict rules to get myself to shut off and and shut down um, from one to the next. Um, So let's say I would have a Saturday game and um, we have to fly to pretty much every game. So I would fly out on a Friday night. Um, Once I got onto that plane, I had to be done with chemistry until the game was over. Um, Most of the time I try to get myself through my self-assessment too, but usually Sunday morning I'd wake up and have to answer some emails or something like that. But um, it's something that actually, as soon as I, I clicked that in my brain and I said, you have to stop, you have to shut off. Um, I did it with ease and it completely, it made a huge difference for me on Ben Saturday, that entire day I was focused in doing what I had to do for the game. And no, I didn't even check my email for work. I wouldn't worry about it. It didn't matter, you know, and that really helped me. You know, if a student emailed me And I didn't get back to them for an extra 24 hours. Everybody lived, you know, it was okay. Um, And I think that's hard for us to recognize sometimes when we're trying to balance all that, Um, but it's okay to have a focus for 24 hours. It really is.
0: Absolutely. But um, now you don't have to do the switching between the two how does the switching off go? Cause it sounds like you had a real uh, mental strength mm-hmm. to be able to click your fingers and um, yeah. switch modes. I, I wish I had that. That's awesome. But mm-hmm. I, I can't.
2: <laughs> That's fair. Um, it's not as easy the other way Is something I've been learning. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm so grateful that I can be thinking about soccer all the time and, you know, I, I watched two games today and uh, <laughs> that would have never happened if I had a job. And I love that part of it. Um, but I do definitely get sucked in a little bit too much into soccer sometimes. Um, and I'm getting better at it. I've actually had, to, I've talked to some of the full-time referees about this, you know, cause they have experience with this. And when I, you know, the first six months I was really confused, like what to do. I was so used to being packed, jam packed, just squeezing in any time I had to train or to watch clips or something like that. And then all of a sudden I had all the time in the world. Um, and had, I put so much pressure on myself, like, oh, well, now you have all this time. You should be watching two games a day. You should be reviewing this, doing that. And so it, it actually took me a little while to kind of settle into what a, I guess you can call me, even though I'm not full-time, but that, that is what I do, full-time refereeing right now. So, yeah.
1: It is odd sometimes to just fill the gaps, fill the blanks. And, you know, I think it, sometimes being busy you know, for me it was the same during if I had a night game on a Friday. Being busy during the day was sort of easier because I didn't have to think about the night game. So mm-hmm. on a Saturday, if I had a night game on a Saturday, the whole day would be like, Well, what do I do today? I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this, what what can I do without falling asleep and getting bored? and keeping mm-hmm. my energy levels high. So, you know, it, it, it may sound weird, but having free time sometimes can be harder than actually being busy.
2: Yeah, it's been enlightening for me, really.
0: <laughs> Were there any similarities, uh, and I'd be fascinated if there is, between your role as a chemist and your role as a referee? You know, some, you see lots of uh, referees who are police officers or teachers, and there's natural skill conversions, but what about as a chemist? Oh, that's a good question.
2: Um, so yeah, you're right. When I was teaching, there was a lot of similarities of basically similar managing people and, and explaining things in ways that work for them. Um, but I think what meshes well chemistry to at least assistant referee is how analytical I am. Um, technically, that's my specialty in chemistry is analytical chemistry. Um, and I can think of the game very analytically um, and make decisions that way. And so the way in which I process the um, experiments and decisions in terms of chemistry is actually kind of how I process things on the field as well. Um so that's for me, it's actually been kind of cool um seeing that relationship and how quickly, you know, um I was able to transpose, okay, this is how you make this decision and go through all these steps very fast in your head and be able to then transpose it into making that decision in a couple seconds on the field. Yeah.
0: That's that. really cool. I wouldn't yeah I, I would not have expected that. that. That's really interesting. and I think that's a skill that is a fantastic one as a referee, because we have to self-analyze and self-reflect so much. And, and I found that a difficult thing to start learning when you know you first get into reviewing your games, etc. I found that hard. So for you to have that head start and doing that at a you know elite level is, would have, would have given you a real leg up and been able to reflect.
2: Yeah, no, that's a it's a good point. It's actually really helped me out for
1: sure. And is there anything that referee helped you out with in your real life?
2: Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the best thing that's helped me out with is uh, when I did my fellowship, my boss was English and he loved football. And so he would let me go <laughs> to any tournament that I wanted. <laughs> so.
1: Well, that definitely would have helped. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I love how football, though. You know, Being a referee, not just football, being a referee can mix up with our real life so much. Like People that don't referee will never understand that, but how much it can affect our personalities, who we are, and vice versa. It's
0: outstanding. It's outstanding.
2: That's very true, yeah. Katie, that was fantastic.
0: It was really, really cool hearing about the CONCACAF Champions League. I learned a lot and how you intertwined with officials from you know all over the continent which is so different to what we have here in Australia and what the rest of the world has and also how your career as a chemist is combined with your career as a referee I found that fascinating and the skills that you had in one that allowed you to be better in the other that's really cool I like that so thank you very very much for your time congratulations again on on what a year or last 12 months you've had incredible well
2: thank you very much I had a lot of fun
1: Thank you, Katie. It's been a pleasure and we are definitely looking forward to see how many more barriers you're going to shutter and how many more achievements you're going to get.
2: Appreciate it. Thank you,
0: guys. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, hit the subscribe button. For more referee education, join our Facebook group and become a RefCoach member for free at refcoach.org. If you like the work we do, you can support us by purchasing a Ref Coach whistle to show that you are part of the Ref Coach community when you're out on the pitch.